you're looking for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Recording, hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 119. What's going on, Neil? What's up, dude? We've got a uh, another great guest we're going to be talking with tonight. we got Brandon Bauman with us tonight. Great to be here, fellas. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Remote. Absolutely. This is... Uh, it's uh, It almost feels weird now. It's been so long. I know. Yeah. Kind of the way of the world these days. Yeah, no doubt. Bringing Brandon to us from L.A., right? Uh, I'm in Northern California right now. I, I've done my sentence in L.A. for <laughs> the past dozen years. And during all this madness, it made sense to kind of recharge, refresh, and get that perspective adjusted. So it, it's been great. But awesome. I'm still close enough if I need to hop on in and do some damage. Yeah. L.A. is a little bit different world, isn't it? Mm, it sure is. And uh, <laughs> it keeps on evolving. And it really sounds like it's... Uh, crazy in the music industry mm-hmm. mm, yeah just the amount of change that i witnessed during my time there significant and you know even in the aftermath especially with everything you know that's been going down it's it's changed quite a bit touching base with you know people back on the front lines we'll, we'll probably talk about that some as we get into yeah, this i'm yeah, sure yeah i know we will yeah. I've, got, I've got i've got questions well, we are going to have some uh, Yellowstone. So, Neil, I got this the other day. All I got right. a Yellowstone hand-picked collection. It's one of Cox's uh, hand selections, which are usually pretty good. Cax. Single barrel, <laughs> 109 proof. Sorry, dude. I'm still 12. <laughs> 109. Cheers. Cheers, man. Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. What are you having with us? You know what? I cleared myself out of bourbon, if you can imagine that. Uh, so, going to be shifting gears. Little gentleman's Jack Daniels. All right, nice, nice, and that's got very some, smooth. That's got some stuff in it, don't it? <laughs> you like this, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I like it. You like it a lot. Yeah, it's got this. Got a, it's still lingering. Got it. <laughs> it, it stays with you a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I got some bourbon for us the next time. So today we did a I had a little closing dealio thing go on and, and got a, a bottle of Wilderness Trail single barrel mm. as like the gift. So next next podcast. I should have brought it for this one because it's just us and we would have saved a bunch of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, a lot of times we have in bands and you know, it, it can be anywhere from one other person or 
four other people or seven other people total. And then if it's the big ones, we just burn through some bourbon, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're looking over in the corner. And I mean, he, he, Brad created a, you know, the Brad's mix of just all the cheap stuff at the end of it. They're, they're live <laughs> to create its own thing. We, we finished it. We even finished that off. Um, there you go. Save that for the special guests. Man, I tell you what, though, uh, the last podcast, which was our first in a long time, didn't matter. There was three of us in here, major damage, you know, and I was the only one that had to work the next day. It was not cool. <laughs> it took me a minute to get moving and motivated on that that day. We do what we must. I guess, man. It was, it was for the podcast and for the one shots, for sure. That's right. That's a, it's, it's a win. I, you know what? You know what? It's bad because I was like, I kept going, man, I'm so thankful it was Basil Hayden, 80 proof. It wasn't. Oh, goodness. If it had been anything higher, we'd been in trouble. We'd all been. Oh. Brandon, <laughs> man, we connected to you through our buddy Dusty Bow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. This beautiful musical world is small and keeps going round. Uh, love Dusty. He's been a great friend for many years. And that guy is just so talented, such yeah. a gem of a human. It's um, it's awesome to see him keep spreading his wings and take new heights. You know, did you, did hold you on, wait, play? I gotta, I got to interrupt and say it's hilarious that I did not know that, and the only person I kept thinking of was Dusty Bow. Really? <laughs> Swear? Yeah. I mean, I wrote a look. Yeah, I didn't just write that. Yeah. Because I, I was going to come back to L.A. and Dusty, and Dusty was there. And, and so it makes sense now that you say it. goes, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the funny, I mean, the, you guys have a lot of the same range and, and tone, tonal qualities that just, you know, can hit notes that that, you, that other people shake their head at. What the mm. hell? Dude, how do you mm. hit that? How do you do that? Yeah, lots so. of practice. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I just kept thinking, man, dude, they sound similar. <laughs> did right. you guys? Did you and Dusty play together back in the day in L.A.? Well, so both of our bands respectively moved to Los Angeles within one or two months of each other at the beginning of 2009. Uh, him and his crew with Bolt Action Thrill came from Kentucky. <clears throat> My side with Diamond Lane. Uh, we came from Northern California at the beginning of 2009 and immediately kind of got injected into the same little scene and circle. And it was this jam night, the Lonely Drunks Club Band, which was every <laughs> midnight at the Cat Club. There's a little seedy bar right next to the whiskey, uh, RIP now, it's long since gone. But that was the Saturday night ritual where Dusty and myself and a lot of our other peers got indoctrinated with one another and that was our <laughs> that was our hang and we got to know each other real well and back then that was the very beginning of our scenes era of like true support if you would go out to a show all the bands are there because mm -hmm. we all had each other's back and we were really building on something special so dusty and i were fast friends um during that stretch we ended up living together for a number of years so uh, to know him as a, a great friend, a roommate, and a musical peer and, you know, collaborator. It's, uh, it's just been awesome. awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to get on Dusty, Neil, because I found out that Brandon was in Louisville not too long ago, and Dusty didn't, what? He didn't bring him to the studio, didn't Ooh, bring Brandon to do wow, one shot. Come on, man. That, that sounds like a missed opportunity, but I'll tell you what, I can assure you I'm <laughs> going to be back out that way again before too long, so we'll have to make 
Oh, yeah, happen. dude, we'll have to do that yeah, for sure. Make sure you cut out at least a couple hours to come to Top Hill and do some one-shot videos. Yeah, it just depends like how it. much drinking we do. You might need to yeah. cut out a few hours. <laughs> we always say a couple hours, but yeah. it ends up being a little longer <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, well, what's the rush? <laughs> exactly. It's all for the right reasons. Exactly. <laughs> So that was just uh, the, what was it, the Lonely Drunks Band? Was that like a jam session? Was that what that was? Yeah, pretty much. It was It was all cover tunes. And so it gave an opportunity for, you know, different dudes from different bands from you know, all over different parts of the country to kind of get unified. And that was a big foreshadowing, I believe, to a lot of the things that have been, you know, very popular in Los Angeles the past couple of years is those, you know, unrehearsed jam nights. Mm-hmm. You know, you know going in that, hey, you know, you're singing on these three songs, so it's on you to prepare. And chances are the guitar players and drummer and bass player, you've never played with them before. Mm-hmm. It's on everybody to do their homework. You show up and it's usually home run city. Oh wow. Yeah. Nice. That'd be cool. It's just everybody having respect enough for the material to do their homework and not just kind of, you know, wing it. And yeah. you don't want to look like an idiot in front of a bunch of you know pro musicians. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta go, all right, dude. I'm not gonna be that guy. I'm not getting caught with my pants down here. Certainly, certainly, <laughs> and then that, that keeps your uh, competitive sword sharp. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Brandon, won't you start us out here with uh, taking us back to your childhood and talk about your early memories of music, and then uh, you know at what point did you realize music was going to be a big part of your life? I guess in your case, be your life. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, that's something that I'm very fortunate to have happened early on. Uh, I grew up in Seattle and I had five older brothers. So from the onslaught, I was exposed to a whole variety of music, whatever they were into, you know, everything from, you know, Skinner to, you know, NWA. But growing up in Seattle and the age that I am, my music discovery was right at the, you know, the moment of grunge music and when all of that started to bubble and launch. Now, you know, we look at it now, 30 years, you know, down the road and can see the impact and the relevance. But, you know, at the time, it was in real time, but not the real time we know today. Oh, yeah. They showed Mm -hmm. these guys on the five o'clock news and, you know, on the Seattle Times, in the entertainment section, you got to like read up on these, you know, what they had going on, essentially. Mm -hmm. So to kind of have that forefront attention on that, coupled with, of course, it's all over the radio. Not only are they playing Seattle bands, they're playing the hottest stuff around. Mm. And so Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, those are some of the earliest bands that I really just immersed my world into uh, and was so fascinated what they were doing, you know, it was always a mystery. Like, you know, how are they making these sounds? How are they putting this together? Because all I know is that it feels powerful. It's getting a reaction out of me and, you know, exciting my young mind, filling it with wonderment at all the possibilities that could possibly be, you know, with music. Hmm. So, you know, as you keep immersing yourself and researching and learning more and, you know, trying to save up to take the bus to the, you know, Tower Records so you can buy a copy of Hit Parader and, you know, see what's going on and just kind of living that. It was really special and made a massive imprint on me so much to the point where I knew that I wanted to be involved in music, whether it was singing or entertaining or writing songs. So I started to learn to play the guitar and that was always a part of it. 
never always focused on being a guitar player, but rather just using that to transmit the idea, the vehicle Mm. for the song, you know, being a accompaniment to my brain. And so all of that, a combination of, you know, learning to play the guitar, having access to the worlds that my, you know, older brothers were living in, you know, with their music and Metallica and, you know, all the awesome stuff that, you know, they loved and worshiped. And then the self-discovery with all the grunge stuff and just how all those mixed together. My world was enriched with music from an early age. I got the bug, I got bit, and it has never left the rotation. You're still infected. Oh, beyond beyond (laughs) repair. (laughs) Did your older brothers play? Um, One of my brothers played the guitar, dabbled. Nothing excessively, nothing, you know, with any real aspiration, probably more, you know, impressing girls at college, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, so there were, was fortunately, you know, some instruments around. So that was always um, a definite blessing looking back on that. And how did you learn? Self-taught, listening okay. to songs. My brother showed me a couple of chords and, you know, basically said, figure it out. Um, you know, got to the nitty gritty on like finger picking and stuff like that. So I just remember for hours, you know, going from you know the third fret to the fifth fret with one finger doing a little finger picking pattern over and over, just trying to drill the concept of, you know, time and repetition and all of those things into my young brain. Uh, I'm still not sure it's stuck completely. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, how old were you when you um, started well, playing? Let's see. Probably nine or ten. Okay. That feels about right. Eight, nine, or ten, somewhere in that realm. Uh, and you know, obviously, took it more seriously as you know, time and years went on. Uh, you know, hindsight's a funny thing. I wish I would have taken it more seriously uh, in the early days. But hey, that's all part of the journey, right? Mm-hmm. When when would you uh, say you considered yourself, uh, you know, a, a diligent practice? At practicing and taking it real serious. And- well, the guitar stuff came out of necessity. I still don't consider myself a guitar player. I'm a singer who can play the guitar. Okay. And there's a big dis- distinction as opposed to a guitar player who sings. Uh, the main focus of my study and practice has been on the vocal front. I think I was about s- probably 16. 16 when I started taking private instruction really, you know, digging into the mechanics and what it takes to, you know, develop your voice. Because mm-hmm. we're all, we all have a gift. Our individuality and our uniqueness is going to be that which is our biggest asset. So trying to cultivate that which is within. So that's where the private instruction came into fold. So I started doing that at, you know, 16 and I haven't stopped. I, I still take instruction to this day because, man, I'm just a student of the game. There's always something more to learn. But in those early days, committing myself to doing that reinforced that, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to improve. I want to excel at the highest level that I possibly can with this. Why? Because it feels good. Also, because it's showing respect for what you've chosen to do and dedicate your time and your passion and energy to. Mm. So that was always very important to me and still is. Part of my brain has been stuck on thinking about growing up in a place like Seattle in a time when 
you know, think of like the, the, the earliest days of the Sound Gardens, the Pearl Gems, the Nirvanas, and, and that scene, and, and, and kind of getting it from a perspective of where you were at that time, and, and thinking about the Athens during the U2 and B, B-52s, and being in that, that circle of, of people that are young and hungry and, and watching the shows and the energy that goes on at those shows. It shows like that where there's just, it's, it's about the music, but there's also a feel and an energy. Um, but imagine like opening up, we have this thing called Leo, which is Louisville, whatever. It's, it basically is our, uh, our version of our liberal arts magazine where you can look and see gigs and check out all the stuff that's going on in the scene and, and things like that. And just imagine opening that up you know, and seeing the names you see, you know, today and in 10 years from now or five years from now, that is what music is. Because in when, when Nirvana and Soundgarden and the grunge era came out, it shifted the way mm-hmm. that music was played. And in right. so many aspects, it just changed the game. So to kind of be in, the, in that as a kid and, and hear that, and I couldn't imagine the energy that, that you were getting from what was going on in that scene when you were coming up at that time. Right. I, I knew there was something special. I couldn't articulate what it was. And especially now having some perspective, that being the first stuff that I really you know dug my claws into and got to know intimately and then kind of working backwards and, mm-hmm. oh, these are the deep Metallica tracks. Yeah. And, you know, this is the 80s stuff and the Zeppelin and the 70s and you keep creeping it back. So I feel like I have have a very d- different relationship with you know a lot of my peers who you know were exposed to the grunge, mm-hmm. but in a different way. Yeah. So um, no, I, I'm right there with you. Well, you talked about kind of being a student to the game, um, and, and and that shows when you do go back and, and kind of discover where okay, what did the, what did they like? What did they listen to? You know, just kind of going back and and doing that discovery, and and hearing you know some of like listening to Dave Grohl, which talks talk about listening, uh, stealing old disco tracks. I mean, that's he's like, man, mm-hmm. I, I just stole a bunch of disco drum beats and played rock and roll over it, you know? And, right. and, and going, oh, what? What? Wait, what? Right, uh, and like then that teen spirit. Bukaku, bukaku, bukaku. Yeah, you listen <laughs> and, and you go, oh, how in the... It's wild. And, and I think... It's all connected. It is. But I think one thing that kind of set sets the Seattle scene apart in that time. You know, you look at like Motown, it seems like people came to Motown and Detroit to go to Motown to, to record in Studio A or Studio B and to from everywhere. Where Seattle, although there was a little bit of my, everything just kind of, it almost had to be there where, where that music came out of because probably, you know, Pacific Northwest and uh, the the rain. We are Louisville was the you know new Seattle evidently because we get rain <laughs> constantly. But it just the I think that that created the angst and the desire to break free and, and you can kind of hear that in the music. But no question, yeah, the the geography definitely had a had a role to play with it. Uh, it, it was a mind melter moving to California where it rarely rains. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you moved to California? Uh, just before I was 13. So 
you know, right on the cusp of, you know, the teenage years. So it's kind of like I had my youth in Seattle and my teens in California and my early adults in LA. So when, when you moved to California, what did, uh, what shifted for you musically? Um, you know, at this point, are you, you're, you started lessons and vocal lessons at 16, right? So you're not mm-hmm. necessarily, um, amped up to that point to where you're kind of dedicating your life towards it. What, what is where you, where's the 13 year old Brandon at and his figuring out what's, what do I like? What is this music thing about? What, where am I going? That was a very crucial time in my life because, you know, kind of ripped from the life I knew, injected into this whole new world for me, especially being that age, you know, you have a different awareness and opportunity to consume. So going down there, that must have been 1998. So I can tell you right now, like bands like Korn was all about it. Mm -hmm. And then moving to the Bay Area, where Metallica's from San Francisco, that was just in the culture more than I had ever seen it in my entire life. So that began, you know, the new love affair with, you know, Metallica. And then you have the other aspect of it, like the the Bay Area, you know, hip hop scene with Too Short and mm. E40. These were all new, you know, foreign concepts to me. You know, I I knew, you know, Sir Mix a lot and you know, some NWA stuff that my brothers liked. But to be in a position kind of all on my own own decision it's you know without influence other than the new things that i'm exposed to so i you know i chose to remain open and take on a bunch of new things that i might not have otherwise been privy to or you know willing to consider you know is you know worth listening to so that was an exciting time because it just expanded my palette and gave me a whole new appreciation for a whole new set of artists and you know more information more fuel, you know, back to that student thing. It's just more information to learn and kind of see, man, there's just a world of music out there. Mm. So that was a very exciting time. And, you know, music very much a savior for me in those days because, man, I was pissed off, you know, having to relocate right before, you know, 13, to, dude. I think it was, yeah, man, it was, it, it was shitty on the surface, but ultimately a blessing because we are a sum of our experiences and without going through those, you know, angst and, you know, situations wouldn't have shaped me into, you know, the path that, you know, I'm currently walking. Mm. So let's listen to a Brandon song. And when we come back, I'd like to hear like when you, uh, what led you starting that first band and when that all 16 years all went old. down. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, hear a little bit about that, but tell us a little bit about lightning. Oh, lightning. Okay, so we're starting with this one. This is fun. This is actually, um, so last year, I decided to shift gears. In 2020, right before, you know, pandemic madness set in, I released my debut solo album. Doing first thing on my own. Great, exciting, adventurous. The following year, following up a couple of tracks that they felt good. They didn't necessarily belong with the material that was on my album. They weren't necessarily written for an album. I just know that I captured those moments in time. I appreciated what was going on. I liked the feeling and the you know, the vibe behind it, if you will. So just release them. So last year, I put out a couple of different singles. This one is a collaboration I did with my good buddy, Spencer Crash, who has also been releasing some solo music, but his band before, Delta Rose, man, Those guys were absolutely smoking. One of my favorite bands 
in the Los Angeles you know, community that yeah. we were a part of and got to discover. Uh, it's a shame, like so many others, didn't work out. They didn't stand the test of time. But uh, I, I'm blessed to have created a you know great friendship with Spencer out of the deal. And so last year, we got to going back and forth when I shared uh, this initial idea with him. And we did some writing and uh, yeah, came up with this little number. So this is a, a rare collaboration and something different out of me. So enjoy. Let's check it out. said was something different this is something different you know out of me you know you talked about your first solo record and i was listening to it like man this thing has it covers so much ground so <laughs> everything's something different out of you almost yeah. there's like you know a few here and a few there that are the but it all blends into this cool sound i love versatility i like you know not everything being identical. And you definitely captured that in the first record. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, dude. It, it makes me also like some of the stuff on that album and even I can kind of understand where this came from with the, you know, because it's based around the guitar riff. and But some of that stuff is almost electronic music in the first uh, on that album. And it's just wild. I don't know if because my, I just can't think outside of the box enough to to start there. But dude, I don't know. I loved it. I loved it. I listened to most of it today and thought, all right, dude, very this is creative. Very, very, yes. Creative. Very creative. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And it's it's nice to hear that because that's exactly what happened. I just wanted to lean into what felt good because after 15 years straight of doing the Diamond Lane thing, where it's, you know, it's supposed to fit into this certain area to be this you know, hard rock, mm -hmm. heavy metal. So to break free of that, not have any filters or anybody else to collaborate off of and just kind of doing what instinctively feels good allowed me to take some risks without being confined to a certain you know sound. Mm -hmm. So uh, now I can definitely see kind of the hilarity in me saying, oh yeah, this is something a little different because I guess <laughs> as a solo artist, if someone wasn't familiar with my previous work, that might not be intrinsically clear. 
Yeah. Um, which is something that you know I have been aware of, and as I shift gears in working on my uh, next record right now, it definitely has a more cohesive, focused feel that's leaning a little more towards the you know the rock side of things. Because mm-hmm. I definitely definitely miss that. If somebody would have asked me what what genre the record mostly was, I would almost say it's almost not rock at all. I mean, you've got. There are a few songs that are straight rock, but it it it's it definitely is not. It's a rock album, but it's not. It's not a heavy rock album. Right. It's it's right. got the influences, and you could tell. But I would almost not know that you spent fifteen years playing heavy metal music if you right. you know all based off that solo record. Right, right, right. Which which I suppose was the intention in some regard. Absolutely. But um, no, it's going to be good for me to kind of shift gears back mm-hmm. a little into the rock world because, you know, I've definitely missed that too. I mean, man, doing that for a long time, you know, banging your head. I've been <laughs> out to a few concerts recently and going, oh, it's just the electricity is undeniable Yeah, yeah. when it comes to stuff like that. This might be a good time just to talk a little bit about, you know, what uh, after 12 or 15 years or whatever it was, uh, what led you to change your direction a little bit? Well, hey, I'll tell you, like you, you know, probably have heard a lot, you know, being in a band, it's like a marriage, you know, keeping everybody on the same page, heading in the same direction with the same goals. Cause you know, people evolve, people grow. And, you know, over that 15 years, there were, you know, I don't want to say quite a few lineup changes, but there was always the constant of myself and Jarrett. We were the founding members. We started it in high school, you know, just out of mutual passion. I think we had English class together or something. I brought a guitar to school and he's like, Hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> so, you know, kind of started the conversation. And of course, I, you know, I carried the thing around thinking that, oh yeah, I can strum a, you know, G, A and a D pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just not enough. So, um, but ultimately, you know, we find the common interests and get things started. So we didn't have a bass player. So I started playing bass. So for the first couple of <laughs> years of Diamond Lane, I was playing bass and singing. And then so <laughs> par- part of the transition to the five piece is when we moved to Los Angeles, I said, you know, I'm done with this thing. Let's get someone who can really do it. And that's so I can focus on singing instead of, you know, dividing my brain, trying uh, to do two things just pretty okay. I'd rather, you know, focus my time and energy. So doing the Diamond Lane thing for so long, it was a, it was a natural transition point because where we were at, like, man, we were this close to the brass ring, you know, half a dozen times, like in a real sense, because all independent, we never had any label or management, but still managed to get on some very sweet festivals. We played Rocklahoma a number of years and some, you know, prominent positions and yeah. feels really good to have my band name on a t-shirt, you know, next <laughs> to Soundgarden or you know, Rob Zombie or you know, whomever. But it needed a little space and time. That was kind of was the the vibe of what's going on. And so instead of just letting it, you know, implode and get nasty, it's hey, let's just take some time. Because as long as Jarrett and I are still alive, Diamond Lane will always exist. Right now, it's just not it's not active. So I knew that it was time for me to shift gears and you know keep going because this is what I do. This is what I love. This is what brings joy into my life. The opportunity to capture feelings and moments in time and contribute to the conversation for all time. And, you know, hell, if I, if I do, do my job correctly, then there will be something that people will enjoy long after I'm gone. Mm. Good perspective. 
So how much of uh, what you're doing now has been uh, bouncing around in your brain over those years? Oh, goodness. Well, that was a big part of the solo record. It was really, let's comb through the past several years of ideas and see what jumps out and passes the instant reaction test. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I was, I'm kind of seeing some methodology to how I work. Right now, I'm going through the all the ideas from 21 and 22 that you know didn't already get recorded or developed because man you know you you capture the ones that are worth capturing and then you need to have that you need to really have a, a sharp edge for your own you know self analyzing to be very impartial and go this works this doesn't this sounds like it's worth working on I know I don't like this and just kind of you know moving on not being attached to you know, look what I created it's either going to work or it's not. So right now I'm in the thick of that process, just kind of like, oh, this works for this. Oh, let's group these ideas together because you know maybe I had my you know guitar in open D that month, mm-hmm. and so just trying to find the rhyme or reason and see what it looks like. But I do know there's already a few standout gems, and I'm I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> <laughs> All awesome. right, that's exciting. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. I always love hearing new music's on its way. Yeah. <laughs> mm, well, for you and me both, and uh, it, it it doesn't always work out the way you want it to, and sometimes you find some stuff where you least expect it, and that's what's happened combing through some of these ideas. It's like, ah, I knew that I left this in here for a reason, so yeah. more to come this year for sure on that front. Awesome. So uh, what's your situation right now as far as playing live music or any of that? Uh, I don't know what the deal is with California. Is anything limited? No, I mean, th- things seem to be starting to bounce back in a real way. Uh, I'm eyeing to hopefully do some shows in the fall. Right now, the focus is, you know, trying to at least get my you know vision clear for the direction of this next record. Um, but then I'll absolutely pine to do live shows. That's one of my favorite things to do is oh, perform. Yeah. And just that energy exchange is just visceral and you, you can't beat it. Like no. that, that is just the ultimate. And so uh, I will definitely look forward to doing that. It's just a matter of details and working out the smart situations that make sense. Because one of the downsides of being you know all solo you're hiring on a whole band. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality of the situation. Unless, you know, you got a full-time thing going and, you know, super duper, you know, active on the touring front, mm-hmm. um, which is not the situation now, but who knows? Anything's possible. As I was doing my research today, Brandon, I saw that uh, singing's not the only thing you use your voice for. That is correct, good sir. I also do quite a bit of voice acting, which is an awesome um pivot to be able to use the hard-earned sweat equity and the years of study using my voice to use it in a different way, a different application. So that's been super fun and really rewarding to continue to learn and grow in that field as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. How, awesome. how long have you been doing that? Uh, just a couple of years uh, in, in the serious sense. So this, like you know, many other things, came by proxy of a relationship from the music business. I think one of my first voice acting gigs was the guy who did uh, our album artwork for one of the Diamond Lane albums some years later was directing a commercial uh, on behalf of uh, Pepsi for Brisk Iced Tea, something for Canada. And he hit me up, you know, say, hey, you know, we need to, you know, figure out this theme song situation. And also, you know, there's a crazy music video, which is out there. It's, 
freaking hilarious brisk <laughs> apocalypse fight off zombies and slam and brisk iced tea. It's, you know, ridiculous the way it sounds. Um, so that was kind of the first opportunity and it, you know, kind of like lit off a light bulb, like, man, this was, you know, really fun. You know, I would you know definitely like to find a way to, you know, add this more into the conversation and you kind of speak those things into the universe and the universe often provides. And so more opportunities revealed themselves. And, you know, as I started to collect a little bit of a resume, I said, you know what, I should just invest, you know, some more time and take this seriously or more seriously. So I did some private instruction, did a bunch of workouts, online groups, kind of immersing myself in the study and just keeping that going. So still doing studying, still staying active in that front, you know, doing a lot of auditions, doing a lot of, you know, uh, right now I've been doing quite a bit of commercials that are airing uh, on Spotify in Canada, some stuff for you know, Coca-Cola, Listerine, so it's it's really nice and exciting to be able to use my voice for a multitude of things. Yeah. Now, Neil, we know where to go when we need Top Pill Recording Podcast. Yeah, New episodes every Friday. Well, it sounds like uh, everything <laughs> I, I, everything you do is released in Canada, so it's got to be like, hey, hey, you got a Pepsi, eh? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Tim Hortons. <laughs> Tim Hortons, eh? That's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I, I I did some Tim Horton spots. Oh, really? You know, man, that is a what a cool little lane to find yourself in. Right. It, it's um, the music industry is complicated. There are no guarantees. We do this because we love it. Mm-hmm. If you can strike gold or find opportunity or a way to you know properly monetize your vision, that's a beautiful thing. But. That's the rare exception. We do it because we love it. So I figure if I can add more things into my universe that I love doing without focusing necessarily on the the outcome, but just doing them for the right reasons, then it just leverages those opportunities for success. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a part of it too. It's just, you got to have fun with it. You got to enjoy it. Otherwise, you know, what the hell are you doing? Mm. Now, next thing is you need to be a voice of some animated character. Oh, I would love that. (laughs) That's definitely on my, you know, goals list of, you know, things that I will achieve. I did my first video game uh, at the end of last year. And that came out uh, at the beginning of this year. It's called Lieber, L-I-B-E-R. It's from an overseas company. So I think it's um, on the Steam platform and it should be on Xbox soon is what I was told. But uh, it's kind of like a Wild West time travel, you know, RPG kind of game, and uh, I was the main the main character, one of the, the bad guys. Oh wow, oh, dude, cool, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was neat to get the script, get shown an image, and then have to create this character. Not only you know what you think he sounds like, but you got to sustain that for hours on end through all different emotions. So that's where the real challenge is to adopt a voice that is this character so you can call him up on command. And mm-hmm. spending so much time, well, let me tell you something, boys. You want to get down there to the river? We're going to go find some gold. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the character <laughs> yeah. for the entire game. So it's uh, a lot of fun, and it's all just a great learning experience when you're doing it because you're getting real-time feedback from people who make video games. So these are important things to know. 
That's cool. I'd be like, I'd, I'd stay in character. I'm gonna need some dinner on this plate right now. <laughs> what are you talking oh, about? Yeah. Oh. Shut up, Neil. Shut up. That'd be my wife. She'd be like, You're an idiot. Oh yeah, my, yeah. My wife had enough of it by the end of that. <laughs> Is this damn game done yet or not? Well, it's just about there, sweetheart. <laughs> I definitely I drive mine crazy as it is, dude. Every time Mark Weinberg comes on, I do my news anchor voice, and she cannot stand it. <laughs> so, so have you seen that? Uh, have you seen that character come to life? I mean, have have you like seen it together with your voice? Yeah, and that's that's the real mind blower. Oh, yeah. You see it synced up with the visuals, and you know the character running around and pulling out his pistol, and it's all you know that's you me. Know, my voicing and phraseology. It it is wild, and it's also it's a nice re uh, reaffirmation of the study that was done, right? Because things need to be done in the right context. If he's you know jumping off out of the wagon and you know tackling somebody, it's got to have the right cadence and tone to match that visual. Mm. And when it does, it's a good feeling. <laughs> oh, dude, that, That's cool. Yeah, that is pretty damn neat. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm definitely very grateful for those opportunities, and um, I look forward to many, many more. Hell yeah. Let's listen to another tune. Tell us about Mirror, yeah. Mirror. Hell yeah. Oh, Mirror, Mirror. That's a this word is... I have trouble saying. Mirror. Mirror. Murmur. I, I mirror. usually say Mirror, Mirror. Yeah, you, you could have been <laughs> in a video game. <laughs> mirror, Mirror. But... <laughs> <laughs> I could have been the country guy on the wagon with you. Hey, hey I, love it. Mirror, I mirror. love it. <laughs> you actually sound less country when you try to talk country. I do. Yeah. This is a murmur. Mirror, mirror. This is the closing track on Manifestation, which is my debut solo album. Uh, this was one of the first couple of songs that I wrote, and I just I liked the the punchiness of you know the riff, and you know it's really cool to see kind of an idea and then you know once you get it on the other side and the production and the mixing and all that it just you know turns into a super beast so mm -hmm. it's always a fun one awesome let's check it out
Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. I love that. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Well, one, two, uppercut right there. <laughs> yeah. That's got that arena rock feel, man. Oh, that's dude. like, it, that intro is one of those, uh, you know, pump up songs. You could, like a like a similar buddy, so, Dusty, man. You could see the football yeah. team a, running out th- on the field. That's a third down song. Yeah. Totally. No, no. And I, I agree. I agree. And actually, that song is two months ago got some licensing uh, with NHL. So they were using ah. that for some like promos and like body checking right on with the beats. So oh, yeah. it's ah. really, really neat to see that synced up. Here we go oh, again. Yeah. The national sport of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll take it, man. Those loonies and toonies add up. No, Heck dude. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really. awesome. Plus, hockey is amazing. That is a perfect hockey song. It is a great hockey song. Yeah. It just actually, it's just, like you said, one, two, uppercut, man. It could be on anything. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. How, how did that I'm come about? Were you, uh, were you putting it out there for uh, people to pick up in that way? Well, I, it's just actively putting myself out there, harvesting relationships over the course of many, many years. Diamond Lane had some good success in the like teens, 20 teens. Um, with some licensing stuff and just kind of, you know, develop genuine relationships based off of those. So, you know, fortunately, when I have, you know, new material, I can kind of, you know, enter into the conversation and see if, you know, people are still interested. So that's definitely, you know, wonderful avenue to help put my music out to more ears. So, awesome. man, I got to ask Brandon, because as we sit here talk, I'm just wondering. So if, if you call... If, let's say Let's say music is a job or work. Let's call it that right now. How many hours a week do you think you work? <laughs> oh, goodness. It's endless. It's hard to quantify it because to be quite clear, my I have a full day gig as well. I'm a distribution manager for a boutique cannabis company, Sattva Cannabis in Northern California. And so that's a morning and day. And then it's just all night as much as I can stand. It's whether yeah. it's my own writing, which I you know prefer to put the priority on, but there's also, you know, session singing stuff, voice acting opportunities. So it's just really about trying to balance all of it. Uh, mm. to put an hours on it, I it's just endless and it's always been that way. There's never really been, you know, massive periods of downtime. Any Maybe hours you're not sleeping and eating. <laughs> Right. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. I'm trying to, yeah, master the, the art of both of those, or too. distributing weed. Well, I'm just going to say, if you need any help uh, with distribution, <laughs> I will come on out. Hey, <laughs> next time you're in California, you let me know. Yes, sir. If you need a taste tester, I'm your guy. <laughs> R&D, man. It's all R&D. There you go. Everybody <laughs> wants to be in R&D. <laughs> you mentioned Soundgarden earlier, but you're... Uh... Sounds like you've been a big uh, Chris Cornell fan for quite a while. Mm, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He is on my, you know, Mount Olympus of singers, without a doubt. Just the tone, character, soul. The guy was a hell of a writer, a unique brain. And yeah, I've always, always cherished and appreciated his vocal prowess. You have Lane Staley on that? Yes, okay. sure, sure. Okay. Love Lane as well. He's He's got to be up there. Okay. Uh, Cornell, Lane. I mean, there's just so many great singers. Jeff Scott Soto is one of my favorites uh, who just has not gotten his fair justice. You know, not enough people know him. A lot of people do. But, you know, him and like, fuck, like Sammy Hagar. He's on the all-time list. Because even today, you know, like 76 years old, still still rules, still (laughs) rules, still holding it up, not phoning it in. Not not giving the fans some half-assed performance and taking their two hundred and fifty dollars ticket price 
at least Sammy's doing it justice, you know, for the legacy acts. Yes. Nothing's more enraging than those guys just going out there and phoning it in. They are way too wealthy and in way too privileged positions of power that they've earned. But for goodness sakes, don't tarnish your legacy. Come out there and hit a home run. Give the people what they want. Don't be fucking lazy. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I mean, it's it's about putting in the work. And I'm and I'm not just talking about Vince Neil. <laughs> Vince Neil. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> stuff just gets fired up. Yeah, but you were talking about Sammy Hagar, and I just had a visual of that meme that was around for years of uh, Sammy Hagar and Bill Clinton are the same age, and they had them beside each other in that meme, and it said, <laughs> said sex, sex, drugs, and rock and roll look like uh, they're a lot better for your aging than, than Hillary Clinton is. <laughs> Makes sense to me. I probably got that all messed up. It was something like that. <laughs> it's a, no, I, the point I, is, I remember seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, uh, you know, when you were considering doing a a cover, was did you know that this was a song that you were going to do? Has it been something that you wanted to do for a long time, or how did that develop? Well, here's the deal. This is the first released and recorded cover in any band or thing that I've been you know, dialed in with doing a cover. It's a very, it's always been a very serious thing in my head. Maybe I'm probably overthinking it, but ultimately I always pined to do something different that was outside of the box. So initially when I decided I want to release a cover song, so let's get to the drawing board and figure out what's going to be the right fit. Cause you just don't want to do a good performance of a cool song. It's just, karaoke you need to introduce something new to it otherwise people should just listen to the original well especially if you're doing something as big as like a stone Mm. well exactly and so naturally my instincts were let's look outside the box let's look at some pop songs let's look at some female vocalists let's try to you know turn something on its head try you know a different approach but no matter what i did i've cut some demos and you know stuff sound really good i did a florence and machine song this came out nice however it just felt very disingenuous to me. It wasn't authentic. Why am I covering one of these songs just for the sake of picking some oddball? I need to reframe this. So I need to pick something that I love, something that's important to me, and find a way to make that special. But that's always a challenge because, man, you got to have some serious stones to cover Cornell. And I knew I had to approach it in a unique sense. So I went back and forth with my producer, Tom Chandler, who I've been working with, you know, over the past, you know, 10 years, great friend, great friend, you know, confidant, the whole deal. So we were going back and forth, kicking around ideas. And I said, like a stone, like a stone. I think we should do it. He was instantly a little reluctant, like, dude, this is a big song. It's a modern classic. It's still in the rotation in a lot of respects. So we ultimately, we need to approach this through a different lens. What do I really love? Grunge, Seattle, that sound. So let's do this in the style that we'd imagine it would be on Allison Chain's debut album, Facelift. So kind of looking at it through that lens, okay, so I can do an Audio Slave Cornell song in the style influence of Allison Chain's kind of interjecting that Seattle element into this, you know, pretty stripped down, not overtly, you know, musically complex song mm. and put a different element onto it. 
So as soon as we started making demos for this, I knew we're in the dot. This is what we need to be doing. So uh, I'm just so stoked with how it came out. Uh, the official music video for this actually is coming out, I think, June 7th, 7th or 8th, sometime you know later in the, the month here. Awesome. Okay. And so I'm definitely pumped to get that out. It was a hell of a good time to shoot. Looks beautiful, and I think it complements the song very well. Awesome. And not only, and not only that, the song was a joy to make because I got to hire on some great friends to come and you know give their personality to the track. Uh, Zach St. John on the drums, Frankie Lindy on the guitar, my buddy Sam Harmon on the bass. It's a great rendition. Yeah, man, killer Thank rendition. You. I appreciate that. And before we go out with that. Uh, that like a stone cover. Let's uh, let's tell our listeners that want to become bigger fans and follow you a little more closely where they can find you, where they can find your music, where they can find you on the web, all that sort of thing. Socials. Absolutely, it would be a pleasure if you can get dialed in with me. My name is Brandon Bauman. BrandonBauman dot com, and that last name is B A U M A N N. Brandon Bauman. You can jam it into Spotify or iTunes, Apple Music. It's going to pull up a whole gang of stuff. And I'm at Brandon B on Instagram, but there's a period between every letter B dot R dot A dot N dot D dot O dot N B. Brandon B. <laughs> it makes sense written out. It's a little bit of a pain to get it going, but there's right. method to my madness. Better than, you know, Brandon Bauman six. Never matched <laughs> Brandon Bauman's. <laughs> but nevertheless Brandon Bauman's the name jam it into the web YouTube you name it there's going to be something for you to dig onto and I'd love to get in touch because I'm just going to keep the output flowing and I always love to get connected with people who are into what I'm doing well, absolutely Brandon, yeah man next time you're in town too you gotta come up please come to the studio I'd love to awesome. I'd love to fellas we're going to be very upset if we hear you're back in Louisville and did not stop and see us Yes, sir. No, we're going to make it happen. And also, all three of us right now, we'll make a gentleman's pact. Uh, Dusty Bow is accountable. He yep. needs to make yeah. all this happen. Dusty Bow, it's all on you, bro. You Don't hear that, blow Dusty. it. Oh, I, I, I was already putting it all on him anyway. I was going to put blame on him. So we were on the same page there. We've already Love blamed it. him for last time you were here. That's it. We're doubling and tripling down. So thanks for the introduction, but now it's all your fault. Any plans coming up to be here? Uh, nothing immediate. Last I heard, though, there might be some stuff in the fall. So we'll have to see. Uh, we might get the Longhammer boys back in action. So we'll see what's going on there. Oh, All cool. right, man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for chatting with us for the last hour. Yeah, man. Thank you. Brad, Neil, it's been my pleasure. I, I really appreciate the time and having you guys on. You guys are gentlemen, scholars, and have excellent taste in music and bourbon. Yes, sir. All right. And here it is, Brandon <laughs> Bauman, Like a Stone. Well, I 
sad in regret of all the things I 